Look at 1 Corinthians this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, and uh, I will bring another message this morning on the uh, subject, the topic of charity, and uh, this will be the third uh, message in this uh, series that we have started, and uh, I believe after today there will be 15 more uh, in this study, and so uh, there's a lot the Bible says about charity, and uh, it is certainly something that I think we need to give attention to, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing what God has for us today as we look at an aspect of charity. Uh, we have seen so far in the two previous messages uh, that there is a more excellent way. Uh, Paul writes to the church at Corinth and deals with some issues uh, and, uh, for the, and wants them to uh, certainly <clears throat> do things the right way, but to use their spiritual gifts to serve. But he reminds them, uh, there's a, he wants to show them a more excellent way, and that is to do those things with charity. Then we've seen what it means to be without charity and how uh, it's just a bunch of noise and much respect. And we should be right positionally. We should be right doctrinally. We should be right in all of those things, but it's important to have charity with that. And so uh, this morning we're going to read chapter number 13. We're going to read verses 1 down through verse number 4. So follow along with me, if you will, this morning. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity... I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could, not remove, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. We'll stop reading right there, but notice the first phrase of chapter, verse number four. Charity suffereth long. We're going to look at that phrase. That's the title of the message this morning. Charity suffereth long. Father, help us today as we look again into your word. Help us on this subject of charity. May we be reminded of how important it is for the Christian to have a heart of charity to show that charity. And Father, may we be better Christians because of what we hear this morning, what is said today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we live in a world of selfishness and shallowness. And because of that, we need a revival of charity. I wish it could just be said, the world is selfish. And the world out there is shallow. But sadly, we as Christians in our ch churches are many times guilty of shallow affection. Selfishness when it comes to affection. The nature of this world is for you to give to me. The, what is the so-called love of this world is short-lived. While the Bible tells us charity suffers long. One way we can determine whether or not our affection, if you will, or what we call love, this world calls love, is to determine how long suffering it is. Because the Bible tells us that charity is long-suffering. Charity suffers long. 
Charity, we could say, doesn't have strings attached to itself. Uh, What does that mean? Charity does not leave during hard times, but instead, charity is ever present in hard times. The compassion is present. It is only evident when it is easy, but it is also there when it is hard. Charity doesn't leave in the crisis, but many times is the only bright spot in the midnight hour. Well, isn't it true that the world's compassion is a convenient one? I'll be compassionate as long as it's convenient. I'll be compassionate as long as there's something in it for me. We look at all the problems our country faces, and aren't we reminded of them every time the news gives a broadcast? We're reminded of them every time there's political debate. We have this division because of this, and this division because of ideology, and this division because of race, and this division because of uh, prosperity and so forth. Can I just submit to you this morning that every problem we have is not going to be solved by a political figure, but it could be resolved if people would just have charity? Let me remind you that charity comes from a deep love for God. That's where it begins. Charity, as is defined, is in a general sense love, benevolence, goodwill. That disposition of heart which inclines men to think favorably of their fellow men. It's what is in my heart that I don't automatically think bad, I think good. I don't automatically think of a way out, but I think of a way in to help. In a theological sense, it includes supreme love to God and universal goodwill to men. It's no wonder that in our own nation, as we have taken God off of his throne in our nation, by the way, whether we take him off in our, in our nation or not, he's still on his throne. And we've set him aside. Is it any wonder that we have become more divided? Because you cannot have charity without first having a supreme love for God. Because it's in that love for God, we learn how to love as he has loved us. And then, if you will, there's the overflow of charity towards men, that universal goodwill to men. Let me tell you what charity is not. Charity is not acceptance. Too many times we say, I will show charity if you accept me the way that I want you to accept me. Or oftentimes, we are are told we aren't showing charity because we won't accept certain things. Now, I don't have to accept wrong to show you charity. You can be wrong in your position. You can be wrong in your actions. And I can still have a love in my heart to do good to you as I can do good to you. Now, that does not mean I have to accept that which I disagree with. 
and, and let me just say, I had not planned to say this, but I feel led to say this because, you know, the political scene's going to ramp up even more than it's been in the last many years. And, and, and all media, conservative and liberal, has one agenda, and that's to keep a division and to cast disparagements on either side. But, friend, whether we agree or disagree with an ideology, and I'm for standing against that which is wrong, I'm for standing against that which the Word of God condemns, I don't ever plan on changing my position, but may we have a heart of charity towards our fellow man. We look at charity, and God is going to tell us what charity is because if we all defined it individually, chances are we'd come up with hundreds of different definitions. We'd come up with different qualifiers. God says in, chapter, in verse number 4, chapter 13, Charity suffereth long. Well, we live in a day, don't we, that we want everything now? If I have to wait five minutes, that's, that's, that, that, that's unacceptable. We want everything now. But charity suffers long. That word long-suffering defines itself in the fact that it is something that lasts. It is something that is going to be there. And can I say this about the house of God? No matter what a man's relationship is with God's people in God's house, they ought to know that that's a place where there's some charity. Again, as a pastor, I'm not going to change my position. I'm not going to accept that which is wrong. But I can still show some benevolence. I can still have goodwill toward men. Let's, let me give you four reminders or four statements, if you will, the fact that charity suffereth long. These will be a good reminder to us this morning. It will show us some things of charity, because what I want us all to do is to determine whether or not we're a people of charity. And we can hashtag certain things, and we can post certain things on, on social media. We can wear t-shirts that say certain things, but the truth of the matter is, it's what's in our heart this morning that is going to declare whether or not we're truly a people of charity. We're going to use our Bibles this morning. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians, if you will. If you'll just turn over just uh, a couple of books in the Bible to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 4. Ephesians, chapter number 4. And I'm going to read the first three verses of this chapter in Ephesians, chapter number 4. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, Paul is also the human author of this book, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Now he's going to tell them how they should walk with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Number one, charity suffereth long because it is required in keeping unity. 
Charity is required in keeping unity in a marriage. Charity is required in keeping unity in a home. Charity is required in keeping unity in a church. Charity is required in keeping unity in a ministry. You say, what is that, that unity? Certainly this passage of Scripture, and if we were to read verse 4, it reminds us that true charity is patient in enduring with others. In order for unity to be in the church and those other, uh, certainly the home and a marriage, uh, charity must be central. Yes, unity in the church requires one spirit, one Lord, one body, one baptism. There can't be seven different doctrines vying for everyone's attention. There's one spirit of God. There's one word of God. There's one baptism. There's one body. There's not a fracture of that. Well, how do we have all of that? Charity. Notice what is said in verse number 2. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. That word forbearing means restraint. It means if I'm going to show charity and have a heart of charity, I must show restraint in dealing with other people. It's probably a good idea not to say everything that comes in your mind about somebody or to somebody. It's probably a good idea to restrain our own emotions and restrain our own feelings for the sake of unity. Well, I just have to let everybody know what I think. You're going to be very unpopular. And besides that, where is the spirit of I have to keep unity? If we have the same doctrine, if we have the same spirit, we're of the same body, we have the one baptism, why do we always have to have our way? It, it, it divides, it makes us not unified. That word forbearing means restraint. So I'm to have love with restraint. To have that love, that forbearing, patience. I think most of us, if we're honest, we'd say, I'm patient as long as I have everything when I want it. The way I want it. I used to think I was odd when I would say, I'm going to share one of my great weaknesses. I'm not a very patient man. But I've discovered that nobody thinks that's odd because you're not patient either. That's where the work of the Spirit comes in. But we have to be patient. What does that mean? He says, well, I have to be patient. You know, it's traffic again on the way to work. That's not what the Bible's talking about. It's patient with one another. I, you can determine how charitable you are by how patient you are with people. I wish they would just get their act together. Well, they may need to get their act together. But I can say this is true. There's been a time when you've needed to get your act together. And you may still need to get your act together. But I'm going to be patient and to have restraint. Why? Because charity suffereth long. Can you imagine if charity was tied to our emotions, charity was short-lived, charity was only shown and given and available 
when things were the way that we thought they were? Well, there'd never be unity. And by the way, uh, it's, it's not charitable for you to be the one that causes division. If there's one faith, if there's one spirit, then we ought to show some restraint. Can, can I just be very transparent this morning? I'm the pastor of this church. I don't always get my way. I feel kind of bad about that this morning. I don't always get my way. People don't grow like I'd like for them to grow in the Lord at the pace that I want them to grow in the Lord. Don't they know that if they just get this settled, it'd be better for them? It'd be better for everybody? Don't they know if they just surrender in this area? Don't they know if they would just, well, there's, there's some restraint and there's some patience. Boy, I'm certainly glad that, that people have had that with me. We've got to have it for one another because it suffers long, so there's unity. Where there is a home where there's unity, I'll tell you, there's charity there because there's no perfect people in a home. A, a marriage where there's unity, there's charity there. Why? Because there's, well, of course we're in love. It's, 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 it's more than love. It's that agape love, that never-ending love, that love that endures, that, lo- that, that love that has that benevolence in the heart that I'm going to be patient and I'm going to restrain what needs to be restrained for the sake of unity. It's not speaking of compromise of the truth, but it's compromise of always getting our own way. And always having to share what we think something should be different. There's restraint in patience. Turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy this morning. And I'll give us the second statement. 1 Timothy chapter number 1. Just over a few pages. 1 Timothy chapter number 1. Again, Paul is writing here, and look in verse number 12, if you will. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer, a persecutor, an injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am chief. Howbeit, for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Statement number two, charity suffereth long, and it is a pattern that Jesus established. Think with me just for a moment what Paul is saying. Paul is giving testimony, giving thanks to Jesus for not just saving him, but for putting him in the ministry. Then he testifies, before I got saved, I was a blasphemer. He blasphemed the very one who was willing to save him. He blasphemed his God. He says in verse 13, he was a persecutor. We know the history of Paul before his conversion. 
He was a persecutor of the church. He murdered Christians. He imprisoned them. He killed them. He stopped churches, those that believed in the name of Jesus. He had the authority and the desire to destroy them all. Before he met Christ, that's what he was. And injurious, he hurt people. But he talks of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and how it was his long-suffering mercy and love. And why? And, and we know, I mean, if you and I were God, we'd all be in a mess. But if we look at this from a human standpoint and our, our limited charity, our charity with strings, if you will, we would get tired of somebody blaspheming our name, wouldn't we? We would be tired of somebody persecuting our church. We have Paul is testifying, thanking, thanking God for his long-suffering nature until he discovered and accepted the love and the charity that was extended to him. Boy, it does take a loving God to offer charity and love and forgiveness to somebody who had persecuted him, someone who had blasphemed him, someone who had injured the people he loved, and yet Christ still said, here's my love, here's my charity, I laid my life down for you, Paul, you can have that forgiveness. And he is saying now, Jesus has set himself as a pattern. If he can still love us after we've blasphemed his name, after we've hurt his cause, after we've hurt the people that he's loved, if he can still say, I still love you, I still will forgive you, what a pattern he has set for us. Friend, you and I cannot put expiration dates on the benevolence in our heart, the love in our heart for our fellow men. Well, they've wronged me, forgive them. Well, they've hurt me, forgive them. Well, how do I do that? It's the long-suffering nature of charity. If we love him because of who he is, because of his nature, because of his forgiveness, because of his benevolence, because of his love, how can we not love those who have also hurt us? How can we not love those who have been injurious to us? Christ has set the pattern. I can't tell you how many times I've heard, well, pastor, you don't know what they've done. I'm not minimizing the hurtful things that other people do. We've all experienced them. Well, Pastor, you, you, don't, you don't know what they said. If we look at it from this through the lens of this passage of Scripture, what's the pattern that Christ has set? The pattern is charity is long-suffering. Because he was still willing to forgive. He was still willing to extend that love. This is a pattern that Jesus established. Boy, if Christ can still forgive somebody who blasphemed him, who persecuted, injured people he cared for. Again, I've already established charity is not acceptance. 
The, the bla- blasphemy was not acceptable. The persecution was not acceptable. But it didn't change the charity, the love that Christ had for man. When Paul came to the point and said, I will believe on you and accepted Christ as his Savior and, and asked for that forgiveness, so many times it is the, the, the acts of wrong against us that God's not excusing them. You're not excusing them. But I wonder how many wrongs could be made right one day if we kept the charity in our heart and we kept the love in our heart. We're not accepting the wrong, and that's not excusable. But the day may come when they may say, I want to make this right. I want to get this fixed. I want to get this resolved. But too many times that charity is not long-suffering because it's not real charity, and we won't offer that forgiveness. And we'll justify it based on what they have done to us. Paul writes... Christ has set a pattern of how to respond to those who have injured. Turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy, if you will, one, chapter, one, one book over. I apologize for making you use your Bible in church this morning. The book of 2 Timothy, we look at chapter number 4, we're talking about charity this morning and the long-suffering nature of charity. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. We know that this is another letter that Paul is writing to Timothy. And chapter 4 details the last days and hours of Paul's life. And Paul is writing to Timothy and say, the time of my departure is at hand. In 2 Timothy 3, which we've spent many much time in through the years, is is Paul's writing to Timothy, warning him that in the last days, perilous times will come. And he gives him all of the signs or all the things that will take place during these perilous times. And certainly we could say that we're in that day of apostasy. We're in those days of perilous times. But we come to chapter number 4 and Paul, we, we've, at the end of the, the chapter, he writes of different companions that he has had through his life and ministry. And the two, three most famous verses, look at them with me in verse 6 through 8. For I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. He's going to die and he knows it. But what does he write in verse number 7? I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. What a challenge for all of us when we get to that hour of death to be able to say what Paul has said. I finished my course. I never gave up the faith. I fought a good fight. And by the way, if you won't fight a good fight, you won't finish your course. You won't keep the faith. And then in verse 8 he says, Henceforth, There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. He was very aware of the acknowledgement that he would get by his Lord. Many messages have been preached from verses 6 through 8. What a challenge. What a thought. To think that I can serve God in a way that there would be an acknowledgement from him. 
Friend, if you could get the whole world to applaud for you today for some achievement, it would pale in comparison today when you sit in the presence of your Savior. And for Him to acknowledge the life that you've lived and say, well done. Now, you're not going to live it perfectly. You're not going to do everything the way you should do because we're not perfect people. But you, but you fought the good fight. You finished your course. You kept the faith. Well done. That ought to be what every child of God wants. Well, Paul writes at the beginning of this chapter in chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Follow with me, if you will. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, now, he has just written in chapter number 3, Timothy, this young preacher, in the last days perilous times shall come. Let me tell you everything that's going to take place. Let me tell you what you're going to face. Then he comes to chapter 4, and he says now in verse number 2, I'm going to tell you what to do in these last days. I'm going to tell you how to respond in these last days. Verse 2, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. That means preach on everything that is pertaining to that day. If there's issues that come up, don't be afraid to preach on it. Reprove. Well, that goes against the feeling of the average quote-unquote churchgoer today. We don't want to be reproved. Rebuke. Exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Most of us as Christians, we want to scratch out the word reprove and rebuke. But can we all be honest this morning? All of us need reproving. All of us need rebuking, unless you're perfect. So let me say that again. All of us need to be reproved. Exhorted with all long-suffering and doctrine. Look at verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Number three, charity suffereth long and is a requirement for the last days. Say, Pastor, how how do we tie that into this? Because we're commanded in those last days to preach the word. To be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove. I think we all could concur this morning that our nation needs to be reproved. In many cases, it needs to be rebuked. And it's blatant. Sin and blasphemy against God. We need to exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. But here's the key. He tells him, the time's going to come when they don't want to hear the doctrine. The time's going to come when they're just going to hear about their best life now. And they'll heap to themselves teaching they have itching ears just tell me what I want to hear tell me what's going to make me feel good about myself tell me that which 
I'm going to know everything's going to be okay. And they shall turn their ears from the truth. What is the church? Truth. Preach the word. And that truth shall be turned unto fables. Here's the point. I said charity suffered long as a requirement of the last days. But I believe Paul, what Paul is saying, he says, in order, if you preach the word, many people don't want to hear it. If you preach the word as it should be preached, people are against it. When you preach the word when it doesn't fill your buildings, but it empties them. When you preach the word and you exhort and you rebuke and you reprove from the word of God, and people say, that, that's not what I want to hear. And they can go down the road to somewhere where somebody will tell them exactly what they want to hear. You're doing just fine. Don't worry about heaven or hell. Don't worry about righteousness or unrighteousness. There's going to come a day when that is what's going to be popular. The only reason you'll continue to preach the word as you're instructed will come from a heart of charity. We'll come to our church. Our pastor never talks about hell. That pastor doesn't love the sinner who needs the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our pastor never reproves. That pastor has no charity in his heart. Because what kind of love is there that will let somebody, will let a marriage run head first into divorce? What kind of, what kind of a love comes from a heart that will never say anything that makes somebody upset at fear that they'll leave or at fear they'll be upset knowing that what is needed is what is said from this word? I've used this illustration a hundred times. I'll use it again this morning. It's like a doctor who's reading the results and knows if this person doesn't change their ways, they'll be dead in a year. If they don't take this medication, they don't have this surgery or this procedure, they don't don't change this, they're going to be dead. I don't want them to be mad at me for telling them the truth. I don't want to get that one-star review on Google. Wow, you're the perfect picture of health. You're doing just fine. It's not me. It's not my place as a doctor to judge your health. Even though all the medical journals say you're going to die if you don't change your ways. But I don't want to judge you. I just want you to live your best life now. What kind of doctor would that be? Sadly, this is what this world wants out of a so-called pastor. Just tell us we're okay. So compassion, love, is when we don't water down our message even when people refuse to hear it. Timothy, you're going to have to love your God above all things so that you can have a heart. You're going to have to endure because that charity is going to have to be long-suffering because you preach the word over 
and over again. One other passage this morning, the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter number 3. Second Peter chapter number 3. Second Peter chapter number 3, we're going to read verses, verse 8 down through verse 10, if you'll follow along with me. But beloved, he of course is speaking to save people, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day, is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. What a wonderful, wonderful reminder. Now, this keeps what I want to point out in context, but I can't read that without commenting on it. One day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Man, it just, it just goes by. Well, you want to get a headache? Just think on that for a little while. And the concept of that, look at verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness. God has made a promise that one day He's going to make all things right on this earth. Which means He will rule and reign. Jesus is coming again. And when he comes, he will deliver righteousness. He will rule and reign in those who have rejected God. Those who have rejected Christ's payment for their sins will be lost forever. Do you ever get to the point and you see all the nonsense in this world and you you see the, the, the slaughter of, of innocent babies. You see the, 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 the vileness and the things that they're doing with, 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 with children today. And, and you see all the things that are going on in this world. Do you ever just say, I wish Jesus would just come today and just take all of this away and fix everything. And you hear people blaspheme uh, his name, it used to be, we say, well, they, they, they talk like a sailor and, and all the blasphemy. All you got to do is turn on the television. You hear the blasphemy of our God. You hear the blasphemy of our Savior. You say, Lord, would you just come and take that away? Why doesn't he come? Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He hasn't just forgotten. He hasn't let it slide. As some men count slackness, but as long-suffering to usward. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. We're reminded that in an instant is when all that's going to take place. But in verse 9, we say, why is he not? He's not, he's not slack concerning his promise, but is long-suffering to usward towards man, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Charity suffereth long, and it is evident in God's patience with man. America has done enough against God for God to wipe her off the planet today. 
This world has done enough against God for Him to be justified in destroying. So why doesn't He? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Certainly man has earned the judgment of God. But God loves man, even man that does not love him, even man that blasphemes him, even man that says, I just don't want to put my faith what you say is necessary for my salvation. He's long-suffering in his love. If God loved man the way we love each other, this world would have been gone a long time ago. But God... Long-suffering and extending that love. I don't know when that hour is coming, but I do know this, the hour is coming. The hour will come, but He is extending a period of grace as long as possible. Of course, I'm applying this with salvation. But could we also be reminded of the pattern that He sets with this? That he's very long-suffering in his love. Extending it as long as he can for man to come to Christ. Oh, today, if you need salvation, you ought to be thankful for God's charity. He is the pattern. Charity suffereth long. I, I conclude and I end this message this morning by asking a question, is your heart full of what the world would call love or the world's affection or is your heart filled with charity as God defines charity? One way to know is that which in you, is in your heart, does it suffer long? Does, does it forbear? Does it restrain? Is it patient? Well, they, they, they should be doing better. Yes, perhaps that's right, but we must have charity in our heart to love and to pray and to help. And if we have charity, we're trying to help them get to where they need to be, not just bemoan the fact that they're not there. If we have charity in our heart, it's like, well, they had their opportunity and they had their opportunity. It suffers long. Well, Christ set the pattern for how long-suffering we should be in our charity and in our love 
Say, Pastor, that's a pretty high standard. Tell me about it. But it's the standard Christ has set. How do I do that? Let me just mention this. This will be a message later in this series. But charity is a fruit of the Spirit. We've already defined charity as, first, it is a love for God as we should love Him. You can't love God as you should love Him if you're not a child of God. We must be His child through the blood of Christ, through salvation, through repentance, our change of mind of our unbelief and I'll depend on myself changing our mind. I must believe on Christ. I must have His forgiveness. I must put all my faith on what He has done. If you're not saved this morning, you can't love. That's why this world doesn't love as it should love. We can put whatever campaigns we want. You can get whatever man in office you want to get in the office. It won't change a thing until we accept Christ, until we are a child of His. And then as His children, we love God with everything that is within us, with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul. Then there will be that outpouring of charity for our fellow man. Well, I I gave them a chance. Aren't you glad God gave you more than one? Well, Pastor, you don't understand. I've given them about ten. Well, God gave you and me a lot more than that. And even as His children, He doesn't discard us because He suffers long. Your charity and my charity is challenged on a daily basis. But may this cause us to have some restraint. May this cause us to keep in our mind what would, what's the pattern that Christ has set. I'm going to be honest with you. There are times I get frustrated with this world, get frustrated with this, this nation. What you, the church is just trying to give you the means through Christ to have eternal life. And yet you want to persecute the church? But Jesus, God, is long-suffering. I'll give you a little more time. A little more time. He's not accepting the wrong. But in His charity, He's given more time for man to make the wrong right with Him. I'm afraid we're too quick to cut people off because we don't follow the pattern that God has set. We extend that charity as long as you can. It's been said, I mean, I don't set myself up as, a, as an example in this. Pastor, you sure are gracious. You sure are patient. You sure are. No, I'm, I'm trying to treat others as I know God's treated me. I want to extend as much time as possible for the wrong to be made right. Because isn't that what Christ has done for us? Father,